Good morning, children of God. Today, um, we're going to do just a, a slight recap on talking about um, spiritual attitudes as part of your discipleship, and then we're going to move on into breaking that apart, telling you a little bit of why and how I've been discipled and how I'm using that to be a better disciple, hopefully. Um, so just a quick reflection. Um, let's remember that being discipled is looking forward to answering a calling to be a disciple. And spiritual discipleship, therefore, allows your spiritual heart and your mind then to frame your attitudes and your behaviors so that when you have that spiritual attitude, you actually become the image of God to other people who may not have that or are still working on refining that spiritual attitude for themselves. It has everything to do with being led by the Holy Spirit. It's not something you can just conjure up. You have to give yourself to it. And based on the previous scenario, we jokingly pointed out that the spiritual attitude is the tool that jumpstarts you to jumpstart another person's spiritual attitude. And that sounds silly and foolish, but it really is based in scripture when in Philippians 2, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Attitude can't be taught, but this is the important part. It can be identified and nurtured in you by other people, and it can be nurtured by you and other people. So it's cylindrical, and it's all based in your love of God. Being a Christian disciple involves personal growth, and quickly it's just like four really basic uh, characteristics. Putting Jesus first in everything, following Jesus' teaching and commandments. That one's a little difficult sometimes. Accepting who we, accepting we need to be discipled to before we can disciple to others, and that is following the commandments and being genuine and honest in our faith, and having Christ-like love for all. That one also is kind of difficult, but that's the key. That is the foundation of all of this uh, discipling and being discipled. And that is because godly love is not an emotion. It becomes an action. And that in order to love, we must be doing something without judgment, without a sense of duty, or a sense of guilt. Our hearts and our hands must be involved in the process that is bond by faith in God. So I just want to give you a little bit of a background. Um, well, I'm going to say a little bit, but you know, I've got a big background because I'm old. Um, but the earliest and fondest memories of my being discipled and being nurtured into active faith. And one of my earliest and fondest memories comes from preschool. Hard to believe, but I do remember that. I remember walking down the steps and taking a sharp right, fast enough to make my skirt flip, flip out, um, into the basement of Calvin Presbyterian Church. And Maribel Stapp, our teacher, told me early on, every morning that I saw her, God loves you and he has big plans for you. Now to a three-year-old, that sounds pretty darn exciting. 
you know? To anybody, it sounds pretty darn exciting. But she was one of those people who promoted my independence in being my own person. She nurtured my love of all things shiny, allowing me to wear her bangle bracelets as a three-year-old. And I have to tell you, she, um, she actually gave me this gold one when I graduated from high school because she wanted me to know she'd always be with me. She would, um, she would laugh at my antics. Most people at home did not, they'd sigh. <laughs> and she would pull me close to hush me when I talked instead of listening. Because yes, even at the age of three, with a mild speech impediment, I was already tagged Chatty Cathy. So um, my dad, as you know, swears that that doll was named after me. As a little girl, I had this wonderful disciple who read me Bible stories, taught me that God is good blessing, and loved me for no reason other than I just was a child of God. So as a disciple, I want to be a Mrs. Stapp. I want to distill God's message clearly enough that no matter if I'm with a child, a teenager, or a senior, that I use words and actions so that they can feel that the core of the discipling is acceptance and love. You know, 62 years later, I do close my eyes, and I can see Mrs. Stapp, because I never called her Maribel, at the door to that tiny little yellow room wearing bright red lipstick and a whole lot of bracelets. She jingled when she walked. I also want to be a disciple that jingles when I walk. <laughs> okay, let's fast forward eight years uh, from that point um, when I became to know um, Reverend George Hupp and Reverend Dr. Rick Cransley, because these two gentlemen played a pivotal point in discipling me to who I am today. Let me tell you about um, Rick Cransley first. As a preteen, I had a very close friend with muscular dystrophy who was confined to a wheelchair. He couldn't sit up, so he had to wear braces, a torso brace, from the top of his hips to his underarms. And that was because if he didn't, he would slump and his lungs would close and he would suffocate. Rob talked a lot about his death. And honestly, the topic of his death, or of any death, scared me and baffled me. I could not understand how his death was prescribed before his birth. My first youth retreat, Rick had prepared a value simulation game where one person would have to be excluded from the safe place during a fake poisonous gas leak. Moments before the game began, um, Rick, Rick grabbed my arm and pulled me aside. And by this point in my life, we were buds. Um, and he asked me how I would handle it or could I handle it if I was left behind out of the safe room without my sister? And as we talked together, I remember suddenly having this calm and not feeling shunned or afraid of the scenario. Instead, I, I was really happy that it was gonna be me outside that door and it wouldn't be my sister. As I shared this with me, 
with Rick, he reminded me that isn't this how God felt when he went to the cross for each of us? That he was giving up everything for those of us who deserved nothing. And it was obviously God's story is much more intense and it's real and it's, it breaks your heart while it makes you want to dance in joy. But I was given the same opportunity to finally put my foot in the water and think about death. He totally changed my perspective. And he did that by helping me not just hear a story, but to put that story in perspective in my life and teach me what that story really is all about. And somehow I began to live my faith rather than just reading about my faith. When we live right with God, death is not anything to be feared, but it is always something that is prescribed at birth. My friend, Rob, well, two years later from that date, we ended up going to prom together because neither one of us could find a date, and we were friends, so we said, what the heck, right? Um, Rob eventually became an attorney. Yes, he made it in law school, and I didn't. Darn him. And he passed away in his early 50s. My biggest regret is that Rob never accepted God, and I tried to disciple but discipling is hard. Discipling isn't easy, but I'm glad I tried. I feel that, you know, maybe that was one of my better accomplishments that I didn't give up. After that, I had a wonderful opportunity to work with Reverend George Hupp. He had been my associate pastor for four years, so I knew him off and on, but not deeply. After eight years of graduating, or I guess about six years from graduating from college, um, Reverend Hupp hired me on as the um, Associate Director for Interparish Ministries, which meant I was in charge of all client relationships. But let me tell you a little bit about how George operated on the scene of Interparish Ministries as well as in the pulpit. See, he was dynamic and passionate in everything, especially his delivery of the word. I can remember almost giggling in church sometimes and my mom elbowing me severely because George was one of those people who he would sweat profusely but insisted on wearing a long robe. He'd be mopping his forehead in towels of liturgical colors that represents the seasons within those Presbyterian churches. He was like a made-for-movie revival pastor. When he hired me as the associate director, I knew I wasn't going to be a made-for-TV revival pastor to my clients. Um, just wasn't in my skin. But on his first day, my first day there, he gifted me with a blank journal. This is it. And it was to reward all my treasured experiences in serving God's people. So this has got lots of notes that I hand wrote about my experiences. And it, got, it has notes from kids and families and parents and employers who thanked me for serving their people. By doing this, those outlying people discipled me. 
They told me, it's okay, you don't have to mop your brow with a towel. You don't have to wear a long robe. You have to be present. I think the greatest joy and alkaloid I ever had while I worked this job was when I had this little seven-year-old who came skipping down the, the path of a low-income housing unit singing, the Bible lady is coming, the Bible lady is coming. And, you know, can you think of anything better to be called? The Bible lady. Dag, I had made it. I had the faith and the belief of a child, the purest and most innocent eyes. Okay, I'm going to try not, try not to cry again, but this really meant a huge amount to me. Reverend Hop always had an open-door policy and provided me with great and genuine guidance and insight. He had a sign in his office, and he had us say it frequently. The initial step to caring for people is caring about the person. So that one was kind of um, tattooed in my heart, I believe, because I do genuinely care about people. He would celebrate really small wins just as much he would celebrate big wins. He wept just as hard over small losses as over big losses because it was always about the person's pain and their eventual well-being. I learned to be and want to continue to be a disciple that sees the person, not their disease, their failure, their obstacles. I want to be a disciple that provides a listening ear, truth-based clarity, options and support in doing together what needs to be changed. Giving a hand up, not a hand out. Assistance, not charity. Hope and love, not condemnation. Now I have one that's almost a direct opposite. I was also nurtured greatly by Kathleen, Reverend Kathleen Haynes. Some of you may know her. She is a pastor that was around this general community about seven years ago, ten years ago now. And Reverend Kathleen came to Calvin Presbyterian at a type when not only the Presbyterian faith, but the whole congregation in Amelia was in great turmoil. They were struggling individually and collectively. She set me on a path to be, excuse me, that's what happens when you hold in tears. She... Um, set me on a path to find a bigger voice and to be more active in the actual worship and leadership of a church. And that's church with the capital C. She didn't worry about the denomination. She worried about the body of Christ. She initiated us into small groups with elders backing who served to support her in not only defining sermon topics, and activity, but also activities that would re-energize the basic principles of the church, discipleship to one another, and importantly, within the community. The Presbyterian Church had lacked that for quite a while. Together, she and I and the other three folks generally believed we should and could be a place where the old hate the sin but love the sinner message could become the living message of Calvin Presbyterian Church. After multiple years of service, 
Kathleen stood before us and announced her resignation from the pastor's role, not from her faith, to marry a Hindu man. She was living into what she had preached to all of us for several years. I was heartbroken when the majority of the congregation declined to accept her resignation and inside, instead fired her on the spot. I want to be a faithful disciple who does nothing without weighing it against my prayerful understanding of God's word and plan for my life. I want to be a disciple sharing God's message to all, even to ears who may not hear or hearts that may be afraid to act on the word. I desire to be a disciple who calls, who knows my calling to respect myself and not to into allowing challenging times or others' interpretations to stop me. That when God's seed falls on thorny ground, I need to know that God is building my conviction and sincerity, not my defeat. Matthew 10:14 states, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. I never really understood that. I thought that sounded like giving up, like throwing in the towel, like saying, we're really not worth it. You know, they're really worth it. I'm going to stick with them and see them to the end. But suddenly I had a new take on that. I had done my best. I needed to move on and take care of me so I could do more. So I was filled with sadness and a whole lot of fear. I figuratively shook the dust off my feet. A week later, as I was driving down the street, I saw these, I don't know really, really what they're called, but I call them banana flags, those long skinny things that they use at car dealers. And it was advertising this new church Pierce Point Community Church, and they were worshiping in an elementary school's gymnasium. There was something symbolic about taking me back to Mrs. Stapp's classroom. I never looked beyond Pierce Point Community Church for another, another place to have my organized faith. I was met by Tina's beautiful voice joyously singing praise from the parking lot as she rehearsed. I was honestly blown away by that young pastor, not only for his age, but he had this incredible knack at really drawing you in through scenarios and scriptures. He stirred common examples with scripture to show meaning with clarity. And then, lo and behold, I found out that he married one of my best friend's daughters. So he had to be okay. Just a year ago, this young man, who I have grown to admire more and more daily, and to trust him emphatically, although I don't always agree with you, I still love you, he sat knee to knee with me on a chair right over there on a Sunday morning right before worship, and in Nathan's ever-presence tone of voice, he says, I need to ask you a question, and you better answer yes. Don't we all wish we had teachers like that in college who just tell us the answer ahead of time? Come on. So that Sunday, he reversed his previously stated learning and asked me to be a deacon in training. Joy of joy. I want to believe 
that he saw something in me worth discipling. As I said, I never looked beyond Pierce Point. I knew I wanted to have a teaching church, and I found it here. I want to be worthy. I want to have beneficial discipline that welcomes me into being discipled so that as I grow in faith, I also sow my faith. I thank God daily for the people who have touched my lives. And I thank God daily for my ability to have an opportunity to touch others' lives in a very meaningful way. But I want to go back because there is another. I always do a hymn. I don't know why, but I do. I want to read you some words to a hymn that's based on Psalms 119, verses 18. And it's very powerful. It pretty much pulls it all together. And it's going to be my battle cry. It's a, the song is, Open my eyes that I may see. Glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hands that wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free. Open my ears that I may hear voices of truth thou sendest clear. And while that wave note falls on my ear, everything else will disappear. Open my mouth and let me bear glad and warm truth everywhere. Open my heart and let me prepare Love with thy children, thus to share. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready my heart, thy will to see. Open my heart, illumine me, spirit divine. Amen. <laughs>